Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Hi, friends. I can't wait to share a conversation I had with one of my dear friends, Dr. Jacqueline Gimler, another board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Grapevine, Texas with Animal Dermatology Referral Clinic. When COVID-19 happened, Jacqueline decided to work from home due to having a little girl under a year of age and a stepson with asthma. We start our conversation talking about the difference of working from home or working from the clinic as a vet mom, and then really dive into telemedicine since that's strictly what Dr. Gimler is doing. So we go over our experiences and it's just a great conversation as telemedicine is hitting the veterinary industry really hard with our changing world. I hope you enjoy and take away a lot of tidbits to implement into your practice. Thank you guys so much for coming to another episode of the DermVet podcast. I'm very excited today to have Dr. Jacqueline Gimler visiting the podcast today. She has been in a really interesting situation, everything going on with COVID-19. She is an expert on telemedicine because that is what she's strictly doing at this point as a dermatologist. But she's also a mom of a beautiful little girl. Um, and so we're both figuring out how to navigate life in this crazy time, being a veterinarian um, and a mom of young children. So Jacqueline, and thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, let's just start out. So, I mean, I don't even like to say COVID-19 anymore because I just feel like every time we say it, it's like eye rolls, like, yes, we get it. We're in a pandemic. But, you know, we are in a really an unprecedented is like the most used term now, but very strange times. Um, and we both kind of, we're going to open up the podcast talking about our experiences. We'll get into telemedicine, but really starting out our experiences as mom. So um, kind of for my story right now is I currently have a one-year-old and a three-year-old um, and I am going into the clinic still um, working. I'm doing telemedicine at the clinic and some outside, but predominantly seeing cases um, within the clinic. We are curbside, which we're learning how to navigate. We've been doing that for probably a little over a month now. Um, but you know, there's there's different guilts and different struggles. Like for me, I love still going to work. to work. I am a person where that is like an outlet for me. But I have immense amounts of guilt still sometimes when, uh, you know, my kids are still going to daycare and that's something where I drop them off. I mean, our, our daycare just announced they're going to go curbside. So oh, wow. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm a little more accepting of it because that's what I'm asking my clients to do. And like, yeah. I want my daycare to be protected too, but you know, there, most daycares are closed. So a lot of times when I tell people my daycare is open and my kids are still going to daycare, you know, Sometimes I feel judged or sometimes I feel like guilt when I drop them off for that, right? So we all, no matter what, there's always a form of of guilt or um, not thinking we're doing this the right way. So tell us a little bit about your perspective with your beautiful little girl and kind of what you're going through as a mom in this pandemic as a vet. Yeah, that's so funny that it's like there's guilt no matter which way you do it. Yep. Um, yeah, I... Um, 
so normally my mom is my nanny when I, when I was working and going into the clinic, but she is over 60 and has asthma. So she's considered high risk. Yeah. So I decided fairly early on that I wasn't comfortable continuing going to work because I don't want to be the person that brings back COVID-19 and gives it to my mom. Yeah. Um, and I've got my eight month old daughter. I also have a, a stepson who's in first grade and he has asthma. So the rest of the family, sure. even though it doesn't seem like it's very severe for most children, it's kind of a question mark. It's hard to get yeah. really good information on, well, is he considered high risk because he has asthma? Um, and we just weren't sure. So yeah. I decided that's like maybe five or six weeks ago now that, you know, I told my bosses, I'm really sorry, but I'm just not comfortable. I don't have childcare. Um, you know, so we just don't know what to do. And luckily my bosses were pretty understanding to be like, look, if you're not comfortable, then don't come in, you know? Yeah. And, um, and luckily, they also were pretty flexible to let me try to set up this telemedicine, because, of course, that's not something we were ever doing, you know, before sure. the pandemic. Um, but my bosses are really nice. And they were like, OK, set it up and just let us let us know how it goes, you know. So. Um, so, yeah, we were able to get it started. But I do still feel um, I still feel guilty sometimes because I'm not there in the office. And I feel, so sometimes I feel guilt that I'm not helping out enough to the rest of the clinic. Um, one of my colleagues is on maternity leave right now, but the other three doctors are still there working every day. Um, they've gone to curbside just like you have. Um, and so I'm the only one who is staying at home and working from home because of the pandemic. Um, and I'm definitely not generating as much income for the clinic as I would be if I were in there seeing new cases, because of course you can only see rechecks through telemedicine. So, um, so yeah, sometimes I feel guilty that I'm not helping out enough, um, at work, but, um, but I don't know what else to do. Uh, cause I still, I still don't have childcare for my mom. First grade is canceled for the rest of the year. So it's like, well, what are we gonna, how, how would I go back? Uh, it doesn't really feel like the right time to hire a different nanny that who, whose health I'm not worried about, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I don't really want to bring a stranger into my house right now in the middle of the pandemic. And I'm, it's not really a time where I'm comfortable, like going and interviewing different daycares to get that set up, you know, especially, right. I don't know. So I don't know. It's very confusing. Yeah. We don't really know what to do. I, just like you were saying, it's hard to feel like you're doing the right thing. And I yeah. think no matter what you choose to do, you're going to feel a lot of doubt about whether you made the right choice or not. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, for sh it, and you never know everyone's situations, right? That's the other thing is it's easy to like judge someone deciding one way or the other, but you know, having a kid with asthma and in your mom being your nanny, is totally different where, you know, for the most part, I mean, my son had a little heart condition, but he's pretty much in remission from that right now. So besides that, like our kids are pretty healthy. We don't really have any health risks. And we don't live by our family. So daycare has always been the option. So it honestly doesn't right. feel that different besides them taking the cautionary, the cautionary steps that, and I trust my daycare a lot. They're very good at staying on top of that stuff. So I think it just comes to show you can't really judge ever. Mm -hmm. None of us are experts at living through a viral pandemic. No, there's <laughs> yeah. no like perfect way to do this. And we're all just trying our best. And I think, you know, just being transparent and realizing what might be best for you or someone else or, you know, your colleague or whatever, that's 
all going to be different depending on our situations and that's okay. And Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's true for anything, right? It's true for being a vet mom. Like I always talk about what's the right way to do it. Like if you're happy being part-time, people should be part-time. If you're happy being full-time, you should be full-time. If you're happy, you know, deciding to stay at home, you should do that. Like there's just, it's just different strokes for different folks for a reason. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it's really great to kind of hear that, you know, we all have some form of guilt or some form of doubt, um, or maybe that we're being judged no, no matter which way you do it. There's not like the quote unquote perfect way to handle this. Mm-hmm. But since you are kind of the expert in telemedicine, <laughs> I'm going to take advantage of peaking, uh, picking your brain, though I have done it and I've been um, doing some lecturing on it. Um, I love to hear from other people how they're kind of navigating because this is something that, you know, a few months ago we heard of telemedicine. I think there was a lot of doubt about telemedicine being so integrated into our field and especially how abruptly it has been smacked in the middle of our field. So I want to just start out by saying you've done this now for, you said like five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the struggles that you've had as you're figuring out doing so much telemedicine? Um, and what are the things that maybe when you started doing, you've learned along the way that makes your dealing with telemedicine easier and better now? Sure. So I think the, the thing that I've struggled with the most is um, poor audio quality. Um, so I have owners using their, their phones to do the telemedicine conference, because then it's easier for them to show, to put the camera onto their dog. Whereas if they're doing it on a laptop, they can't like easily point their laptop at their dog. Um, but that means that, um, the audio they're hearing from me is on speakerphone. So sometimes they can't hear me. Um, so I have to talk really loud and um, I've started warning people every time in the welcome email that I send them um, that it's better if they have headphones. So it, rather than using the speakerphone of their smartphone, if they have headphones that are connected, then they can hear me no problem. So that's something that I've had to adjust and make sure people are like kind of set up with beforehand. Otherwise, the whole time they're like, I can't really hear you. I can't really hear you. And it's, you know, it's like really hard to communicate. Um, Oh, of course, probably a lot of people have noticed this from doing, you know, Zoom conferences and stuff, um, if they've done any of that for work, that you can't talk at the same time as other people, otherwise audio cuts out. So you have to learn how to pause the second you think someone's going to reply, or if they start replying, just stop talking, and then listen to what they're going to say, wait till they totally stop talking, and then resume. You can't like talk over people, it doesn't work. I think that's like such an interesting point to even think about with life. And I've actually learned by recording the podcast. Like I've always loved speaking like at conferences and doing public speaking, but that's, I mean, unless I'm on a panel, that's just me. So it's actually doing the podcast and now doing telemedicine. I totally agree. You've kind of, it's been an interesting process to kind of learn to active listen and, and really listen And even cutting out some of the, you know, little things you might say in between, because you're right, it totally cuts out. It's not like a conversation that you have in real life. So it's an interesting concept to even think about, uh, to kind of take once we get through all of this, like how you really listen to people. Yep. It's, I have to bite my tongue so hard because I'm someone who would do a lot of, "Mm, uh uh-huh. Oh, you know, to show people that I'm listening and that I care about what they're saying. I make a lot of noises. So instead, I just have to like bob my head really hard <laughs> so that they can tell that I'm listening to what they're saying. 
you're going to be an ex you're going to be like an expert on nonverbal cues. Like when we get through all of this. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what are the successes? Like, so tell me about either some cases or like, are there, have there been cases that you've done this that you really, um, so the ones that I have done, I felt really good about coming off because you know, we're all, we, in the beginning, people are hesitant to do telemedicine and the restrictions that we have on that, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, but have you had those cases where you get off and you just really feel so happy that you could be helpful, whether it's like an elderly uh, client who really can't get in or a first responder? Like, have you had those cases where you truly feel like telemedicine has been a really valuable tool, say, even if we weren't in the middle of this viral pandemic? Yeah, I think I've seen the biggest, the people are the most grateful um, when they live a long distance. Because, you know, we see a lot of people who sometimes drive an hour or more to get to us from the areas, you know, surrounding DFW. So they love it. And all of them have said, are you going to keep doing this long term? Oh, my gosh, this is so much better for me. Um, and I've also really noticed a difference with um, patients who are either really nervous with car rides or just um, afraid of being in the clinic in general, both dogs and cats being at home, they're just so relaxed. They're just like laying on the ground. Their owner's giving them belly rubs. You know, they're perfectly happy. Um, none of my patients have seemed at all, you know, nervous or even like hyper excited or anything. So that part of it, I think is nice too, that the pet gets to be in the comfort of their own home. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. They're more comfortable and it's interesting for clients. I don't know if you've had this, like it's interesting kind of how they handle being on the video console or like what's in their house or how they have it set up. I've had some interesting angles from clients, like when they're holding <laughs> up the phone. Um, uh -huh. that, but I think if you just make it lighthearted and especially if you know your clients really well, um, I told the story before, I think on an episode of the podcast, but I had a client that had, uh, there was like, it was like a 2 PM teleconsult and they had like some wine out. And I know the clients like really well and they were really like fun and joking. And I was like, oh, happy hour already. Like, it's just, you know, like you have to go into it, just making it what it is. And mm -hmm. it's like, all of a sudden we're all worried about our backgrounds and, uh, you know, our audio and what things look like and what's the backdrop. And, um, you just kind of have to embrace it and, and just accept that it's awkward for some people who aren't really used to this are being mm -hmm. on video all the time. Totally. So, so yeah. So some questions that I got in. So um, I kind of pulled um, some different uh, people on social media, just like what are their struggles or what do they get concerned about? So obviously, let's just like talk about the elephant of the room. One of the big concerns with any telemedicine is I'm not touching the pet. Like I'm not touching the pet. Derm is very visual, but we still do a lot of palpation. We still do a lot of, you know, uh, different exams that we can't do necessarily without touching the pet or having them in the same room as us. So what's the discussion either you have with your clients or what are the ways that you get around that, that make you feel comfortable continuing treatment in these pets? I use the owner's senses a lot for the ones that I can't get over video. So um, if they're showing me a lesion, um, I'll ask them to describe what it feels like or ask, like, is that raised? Does it feel like a scab? Um, and I'll ask them to, you know, like run their hands up and down the dog's back to tell me what they feel. Um, and I ask them about smell a lot too. If the dog smells in general, if we're talking about the ears, do the ears smell? Um, and, you know, since these are all recheck patients, a lot of times we've treated them for, you know, infections in the past 
and the owners know, oh, it, and they can tell me like, oh, it smells like Fritos or, oh, it, when he's had a yeast infection, this, it smel- this is what it smells like. Um, so usually these owners, because, you know, they're already an established client are, are pretty good with their nose and with what, you know, what that relates to. Yeah. Really using them as the tool. I mean, the reality is we only see these pets for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, depending on how often they recheck at a time. And so there's a lot that the owner knows just by being with them. And especially right now they're with them a lot. I think the other thing people kind of forget about when we talk about telemedicine and dermatology is so much of what we do is history. Like Mm -hmm. so much of it. Like how many times do you like read the, you know, the client form or their complaints or, you know, can just see like the area of the body that the pet's uncomfortable with or what they're showing and many times have a really good idea of what's already going on. So just history, you can do so well over the phone, you could do over video chat. And I think a lot of general practitioners are forgetting how important that is for us. Like, was Mm -hmm. this the time of year that the pet it's spring? Did they have a hard time last April? Is it the dorsal lumbar sacral area and they forgot their flea control? Like there's so many things that we can take a step back and rule in or rule out just based on having that conversation with the owner, like a true in-depth conversation. I had one where the pet had started recently flaring and was food allergic. And when I just had the time to actually talk to the client face to face and give them my attention, the dog had gotten into like a bag of Fritos or something like, you know, the day it happened. So it's really just taking a step back and realizing we telemedicine is something, I think it's like an integrative medicine. We're not necessarily saying this is going to replace everything we do. Right. But if we can integrate it and just getting that really good history from the client, having them involved in the, the console, like you're saying, then we can really make it a powerful tool. The other thing is I would assume a lot of the telemedicine you're doing you're doing for clients who can't come in either. You said to for distance or for health reasons. So all of a sudden, if we don't offer that, then it's, they've got nothing. So yeah. yeah, So it's like an all or nothing thing where you're really just trying to bridge that gap and, and really give them that experience instead of saying you're in the clinic or you just get zero time or, or, you know, treatment from me. So you mentioned having owners use their phone, What do you do if you have a pet, like a cat or a dog that either they see the phone come out and they're camera shy or, you know, cats, they like run and hide under the bed when you're in the middle of an exam with an owner. How do you kind of navigate through that? I've included in my welcome instructions that if their pet is wiggly or, you know, it's hard to, um, you know, pin down for the video to please have a second person nearby to help hold the pet. Um, I've also told people, um, like if there are some particular, um, spots on the skin that you're definitely worried about, and you really want me to get a good look at, you can always take pictures, take some high quality photos beforehand and email them to me. Um, and that definitely helps for pets that are, you know, wiggly and the camera is just like blurry, you know, blurry all over the place as they're moving around. So those are kind of the two ways that we've tried to get around that. I think that's great. I What I really love about everything you're mentioning, and this welcome email is probably amazing um, because you're <laughs> including so much in it, is that you're setting up their expectation and really when they walk in, you have some preparation there. And mm-hmm. I think rather than just sending a link to whatever platform you're going to use for telemedicine, 
including an email, including instructions, like giving some prep, letting them know what to expect can be really helpful so that you don't just end up on an awkward video call where no one really knows what to do. Mm -hmm. I have found in the telemedicine I've done pictures ahead of time are gold Mm -hmm. because of exactly those reasons. So I I love that and totally agree. Um, Having them take pictures of problematic lesions, um, of crusty areas of the paw. I have had owners who will actually like, you know, show me things during the video chat, but it, mm-hmm. I, I think we've all been happier and more comfortable having the stress taken off that at least we have those pictures there that I have looked at ahead of time. And then I can kind of walk them through a more thorough exam or really showing me the lesion in a different way. If the picture didn't come through in a way that I felt like I could get a lot of information from. Yeah. So I feel like the other big thing, which I have to say when all the telemedicine came out and I heard a lot of complaints about this, it actually made me very happy because the, the concern is the lack of ability to do cytology. And I know I'm not alone when I say as dermatologists, um, you probably also live and breathe by cytology and we could not preach enough how much general practitioners should do cytology. So I'm actually very happy that this has been a concern because I feel like, you know, there's various days where I get referrals in and I feel like there's a lot of prescribing without cytology. So in one way, I'm happy that this is a big concern because hopefully the message of doing cytology is really getting through, but we can't do it over telemedicine. Um, So what have you done uh, either for confirming infection or treating infection? I know you talked a little bit about knowing the history of the patient, um, but walk me through some other tips you might have for general practitioners who might be concerned about that. Sure. So again, in my welcome email that, that I send out to all of them, I a long sure welcome that, email. Right? Everyone's going to want this welcome email. Exactly. So in the welcome email, it says to please have some um, Q-tips, Ziploc bags, and either clear scotch tape or clear packing tape. You know, it can't be opaque. Otherwise, it doesn't work on the microscope. Um, but so I make sure they have a couple simple supplies. And then if there's a lesion that I'm unsure about, um, and I, we, and we want to do a cytology, um, I, I actually talk them through how to, you know, swab the ears with a Q-tip and put them in separate bags labeled right ear, left ear. Most owners are pretty comfortable with that. I mean, I get a lot of owners that actually like talk about how I was cleaning out the ears, you know, with Q-tips and we're like, oh, generally don't do that. (laughs) You know, usually we tell people not to use Q-tips at home, but this is an exception where we're just using it, you know, take cytologies. So most people don't have a problem with that. Same thing with, um, you know, if if it's the paws that are itchy that they're licking, I'll talk them through using a a tape cytology. Um, If a lesion's more moist, where um, tape probably wouldn't adhere to it very well. I have them swab it with a Q-tip and put that in a Ziploc bag. If, you know, the, if it was like purulent discharge somewhere or like really moist dermatitis of the neck or something. Um, and then they can either uh, mail those samples into us if they don't mind waiting a few days or if they do live locally uh, and they just didn't want to physically come in for an appointment, but they don't mind, they can, you know, drop the samples off at our clinic and just and we, we do curbside where they just call when they get there, hang their hand out the window and someone runs by to just grab the envelope out of their hand. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I've always kind of wondered about that. I haven't done that yet, but I, I wouldn't be opposed to doing something like that. So from the doctors, I'm assuming like the other doctors at the clinic will then read the samples. Have, have they 
have they found when you actually are able to like walk the client through that process? And I'm sure like, since you can visually see them doing it, you can tell if it's going to be a pretty good sample or not. Have they found like that they're pretty diagnostic samples that owners are collecting? Yeah. So I actually um, go, I've been going in at night when no one else is there to, to oh. read the cytology samples. Again, because of my guilt, I don't want to burden the other doctors dealing with my cases. Oh. So that's how we did it. Um, but yeah, I find, so I was, you know, watching while they did it. So I told, especially with the tape, I said, press enough times and then lift it up, make sure you can actually see that there's skin and debris adhered to the tape or, you know, sure. with swabbing the ears, I was like, hold it up to the camera, make sure that there's actually good stuff on the ear swab. Um, so I was pretty sure beforehand that they were samples that had a good amount of material on it. Um, and then, yeah, when I got to the clinic, you know, they, they don't, they don't tear the tape correctly. <laughs> a lot of times their, <laughs> their piece of tape is like way too big. Um, but so I either just, you know, only use the spot that has the most, you know, debris on it, or it, if it looked like the, it was all spread equally, I kind of just cut the tape myself and made two slides out of it. Um, but yeah, then I, you know, I've stained them and looked at them like normal and they had, you know, plenty of um, microorganisms on it and plenty of, you know, skin cells that told me this was an adequate sample, whether I found, you know, microorganisms or not, I could tell by the amount of debris that it was a good sample. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really cool. Um, I'll have to think about that if I do have a case where I feel like I absolutely need them to come in. So far, I, I feel like when I've had telemedicine appointments, and again, this is just the difference of still going in the clinic, um, that I, I'm kind of able to talk them through the importance of coming in. And so mm-hmm. far, I haven't run into that issue, but I have been curious if anyone is doing that. So it's really nice to hear that you have really kind of figured that out with your clients that you can really walk them through it. And it, honestly, like as much as we talk about cytology, how important it is, it's really not that hard to do, mm-hmm. especially if, the, like you said, the pet's very relaxed and they're yep. in their home environment, more willing to stay still. They might mm-hmm. have an easier time getting cytology sometimes than we do, like when they're in the clinic yeah. and nervous. You have to be willing to be, to get kind of bossy with your verbal instructions, um, which I was used to, you know, I did my residency at an academic institution. So I was used to uh, teaching vet students how to do cytologies and, you know, your impulse is to just grab it out of their hand and do it for them because it's easier. But to teach, you have to like take a step back, use your words, just describe in extreme detail. Okay, I need you to pull the toes apart, pull them farther apart than that, part the hair you know, and just describe in extreme detail how to actually do it. Um, So you have to be willing to say like, to tell owners, oh, you're not quite doing it right. And like, keep talking until you finally get them to do it right. It'll also be very good practice for when your daughter gets older. And you have, so I'm learning that with my three-year-old, like, this is probably very good practice for you. Because we're at the stage with my three-year-old where it's like, you can tell giving her choices and allowing her to do things on her own is very good for her. I have a very spirited, independent daughter. And so it's good because yeah. you'll, you're like learning this patience <laughs> earlier. So when your daughter's like doing stuff, cause there's sometimes you're sitting there like, I could just do this so much faster, <laughs> but right. I know you need to learn. That's so good. You're learning yeah. life skills through this pandemic. Totally. Um, shoes, putting on pants, stuff like that. I know <laughs> this, this is the, <laughs> it's the simple things really. Um, so you kind of brought up a little bit about ear infection. So you're having clients who can Mm -hmm. do cytology, which I, yeah, I think most clients, I've had some aggressive dogs where I've had to do that in the clinic. Like the owner has to collect the cytology, So it's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I really do think most owners, especially ears 
can do that. I agree. We don't want them cleaning with it because they're probably just pushing stuff down. But when you're just needing a sample, it's, it's really mm-hmm. helpful. And that's how we do it. But what do you do as far as the lack of ability to do otoscopy with your comfort of not being able to evaluate the tympanum? And then I'll kind of go over some of my thoughts too. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a limitation. You know, there's no, no doubt about that. Um, I think so part of the good news is that since these are only rechecks that I'm seeing, I'm not really seeing any chronic, terrible ears where, you know, they probably also have otitis media and need a beringotomy. Like those have already been taken care of. So these are Mm -hmm. more mild relapses that I'm seeing. Um, So for the most part, all of the cytology, all the ear cytologies I've done so far have been yeast. Um, and so with those cases, uh, I usually use my Conazole one percent lotion, or which is a liquid, even though it's called a lotion, where I mix that with HB or Hydro B. Um, so either way, uh, so anyway, sorry. But my point is that that medication, I don't mind, even if the eardrum were ruptured for some reason, it's generally safe if that gets into the middle ear. Um, so I feel comfortable prescribing that medication, even if I can't see the eardrum. Um, and if I had to do an antibacterial eardrop, again, I would probably try to choose one that I felt was a little bit safer if it got into the middle ear. Um, you know, so personally things like, I guess, Trezoderm, because it's aqueous based, it doesn't seem to cause as many ototoxic reactions as the more, um, oil-based ones, you know, like, um, Otomax and stuff. Um, or potentially the, uh, if it were a severe bacterial ear infection, maybe the, the Triz Ultra with injectable Batril mixed into it. Again, like, so those are, that's the medication that I used even after doing a myringotomy intending it to go into the middle ear. So I guess it affects my medication choice a little bit since I can't, you know, see that you're drunk for myself. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I mean, the big thing is knowing which medications you're more concerned about. So like aminoglycosides, like if you can't really prove the eardrum is intact, Mm -hmm. but you know, to be honest, and we're going to see a completely different set of cases. Um, we're seeing the, you know, some really terrible ears, some ones that do have to be on chronic medications when we wish they didn't have to be. I mean, but I see plenty of dogs without eardrums and we have to treat like something has to go in the ear and yep. the risk of ototoxicity for the most part is, is quite low. I mean, I've even had to use some of those medications before with, yeah, with a ruptured eardrum and you and you just warn the owner. And now would I want to do that necessarily if I can't evaluate myself and, and know that's what I'm dealing with? No. Like, so I agree with you. Like we'll use a lot of things like Batril, like things that we know the risk is quite low. And that's another thing that you you just have to be really communicative with your owners too. So listen, I'm glad you can get the cytology. Let's see what it shows when I go into the clinic. Um, you know, we, we do have to understand that I'm not able to palpate the ear and actually put a, a scope down the ear. So we're kind of assuming that risk, but let's start treatment, um, you know, based on what you're showing me. And then we'll kind of recheck in a couple of weeks and, and see where we're at. So I think you just have to be honest with owners and this was another thing again, where I was glad people were concerned about this. So I'm like, great, everyone actually is putting a scope down the ear or at least yeah. a lot of people. So it's a good thing, but I totally agree. You just have to have knowledge of those medications. And the reality is there's a lot of things that we don't feel as concerned about if there is something like a ruptured TM and we would still have to treat those anyway. So just knowing your comfort level with that and then talking to your owners about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So switching gears a little bit, some of the other uh, concerns that were risen that through all this telemedicine conversation has come up is exam fees. And you don't have to necessarily tell me specifics, but in general, how have you felt like your owners have, have they been pretty open to whatever exam fee you guys are charging? I mean, I can tell you for us, we've been still charging the same exam fee as if they were in the clinic. Um, I'm really open about that. Uh, you don't necessarily have to tell me if you don't want to, but how have you gotten pushback or, or how are you managing that? Sure. So, um, we did decide to charge the same exam fee for a recheck that we would normally charge. The idea being that generally the recheck fee is my time that's being paid for, and I'm still spending time, whether it's in person or telemedicine. Um, For the owners that have elected to do telemedicine, they have not had a problem with paying that fee, but that's because we also, when people call in and their dog's having a problem, we're also offering them to give a, um, to do a phone update through the technicians or through the receptionist um, for free. So if they want to, you know, they can they can just, especially if it's more of a simple problem, they just need a refill of medications or it's pretty clear, you know, what's going on just over the phone, they can just get medications refilled and I will get that message, read it, type a reply, um, and then a technician will call them back. So if owners do have financial concerns and they don't want to pay a, a recheck fee, they can go that option. Um, so the people who are doing telemedicine with me are doing it solely because they wanted to see me and talk to me and pay for my time. So that that's part of it. Yeah, I, th- I think you brought up such a good point um, about the fact that the exam fee really is our time. Like there is a reason that diagnostics and of course, like, yes, the physical exam is included within that. But you're almost I feel like I'm almost doing more as far as like communication um, and really going over things with the owner from telemedicine because I can't just do all that by myself. I like feeling the pet. So I find even sometimes like my telemedicine, like the history taking portion and talking to the client portion is almost longer than like in clinic. Cause you know, in clinic you can kind of feel, you can look, you can grab samples as you're talking, but cause you have that kind of combination of everything. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think I tend to move a bit faster. Whereas when, yeah, if you're talking to someone how to take a sample or you're, you know, really trying to dive into the history so they get that FaceTime uh, some of mine, I don't know about you, but some of mine have ended up even longer um, just because we are doing so much back and forth and discussion that I think when owners have seen how much effort has been put into that exam so far, that has not been a problem for us either as far as them mm-hmm. not being happy with the exam fee. Yep. Uh, so kind of last thing, um, and I know this will be a bit different and we can kind of talk uh, on our experiences being a little different working in the clinic versus um, doing strictly telemedicine, but there are going to be those clients that you see them, you talk to them, or maybe you tried some form of treatment. Maybe maybe you didn't feel comfortable with uh, you know giving antibiotics, so you tried to do, and they don't feel comfortable doing a cytology. So like for me, I've a lot of topical therapy, things like that. Um, say they've done that and it's not worked or there's a lesion you're very concerned about and it needs to be biopsied or just something has to be done. Um, what do you do or how do you have that conversation with owners if you really feel like the pet should be seen in the clinic? Sure. So there has been a couple where um, I determined through the telemedicine appointment that they needed a skin culture, which at this time is not something that we can do over telemedicine. So for them, I've had them schedule 
um, a follow-up swing by appointment to have one of my colleagues, you know, take the culture sample. Um, and the way um, that that I've addressed it with clients in general, and it says this in their welcome instructions too, is that if during the telemedicine appointment, it's determined that you need to go into the clinic for some reason, like you need an ear procedure or a biopsy or, uh, you know, something like that, then you're not you're not going to pay another exam fee uh, if it's something that just couldn't be taken care of during the telemedicine appointment. So I think that helps um, make people a little bit more comfortable that they're not going to get ripped off. They're not going to end up being paid double or having to pay double um, just because they were trying to do it through telemedicine first. Yeah, we're very similar. And I do think that really helps people to have that comfort. I will say the couple that I have done telemedicine with and through that conversation, it became very clear the pet really needs to come in because you have that face to face and they can, you know, they can hear you, they can see you, you can really explain the reasons why I haven't had actually any pushback of, of me really looking that owner in the eye over, you know, video chat and saying, I really think your pet needs to come in. Here is why. And more importantly, here is how that experience is going to go. Because one, not, you know, we're saying we don't charge the exam fee again. So it's not like they got double charged, but then I really can look at them and talk to them through our protocol. Like, you know, what are the things that will make you feel comfortable? Um, so talk them through what curbside looks like, talk them through, you know, right now we're wearing masks then the disinfecting we're doing, um, that no clients coming in the building right now. Um, and we've even had some where we're like, how could we get this done? as far as they're really high risk and they still don't feel comfortable, maybe they can have a relative who can bring the pet in. So really just having that conversation. And I think the big thing is working with the client. So I think telemedicine opens up the ability to work with the client. Again, it's not all or none. That doesn't mean that like it's telemedicine or nothing, or it's in clinic or nothing. It's just an avenue to be able to look that client in and say, you know, as your pet's doctor, I'm, I'm seeing what you're showing me, but I now seeing that I'm very concerned about X, Y, Z, and here's the steps we'll take. If, if you could bring your pet in to make sure, you know, we're really minimizing that risk and, you know, knock on wood and I'm not saying this would never happen, but so far every client that that's happened to, because I took the time to talk to them and I really tried to work with them. I tried to offer something different. I tried to not get that pet to come in has actually been completely appreciative and found the way to get the pet in. So it is just having that dialogue and being flexible and providing for the client that I think really, you know, can differentiate your clinic from another, you know, saying, oh, no, we can't do any telemedicine. Like, honestly, I think when we get through all this, what we're going to find is the, the clinics have been flexible, that have really wanted to work with their clients, that are understanding that everyone's situation is different, are going to be the ones, you know, in the end that were as happy as you could be, you know, working through a pandemic and really retaining clients and, and probably even word of mouth, getting new clients just from the way that you're able to work with it. I feel the same way about communication. Like I used to be really against email um, mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, I just want to, you know, quick, I want to talk to them on the phone. But now we're just learning as we move forward and we're having a lot of younger people that have pets and they want, you know, that accessibility. Like I don't email for my personal email, but I will email people back through our clinic email. So I think we have to be willing to pivot and navigate. Um, and eventually those ones who do adopt a lot of these practices, I think are going to in the long run have happier staff, happier clients and actually really benefit and learn to love it. Cause I was skeptical too. I don't know about you, but 
six months ago when people mentioned telemedicine, I was open to it, but I was probably still a little skeptical to it. How about you? Mm -hmm. I know as I've seen it happening more and more in human medicine and I see, you know, friends and family members. And then even my own, my allergist last year was like, would you want to do a telemedicine appointment? Like, Oh, weird. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sure. (laughs) You know? So I thought it was strange and I've wondered how, but how can the doctor do a physical exam on you? Like, how is that going to be a, a good appointment? So yeah, I had my own doubts about it on the human side and also on the veterinary side. Um, but I think that's the thing to remember is that it's not the end all be all. Like, yeah, it's not perfect, but no one is saying that it's perfect. No one is saying that it should replace all of the normal, you know, um, veterinary appointments. It's just that it has its place and it'll probably be helpful for um for certain cases you know in the future just moving forward forever yeah and yeah i think as the technology gets better and i think through all this people are more and more comfortable in realizing how much can be done like virtually Mm -hmm. um that yeah just having that that flexibility i think just adds a lot and honestly Mm -hmm. once you kind of rip the band-aid off and start doing it a little bit and you learn what you feel comfortable with and how to talk to clients I actually think it makes us better communicators and will probably make us better doctors because you do have limitations and you do have to be willing to say, I can't handle this over video. You have to be confident enough to convince Mm -hmm. owners, you know, why it's so valuable to come in. And when you learn those skills, it's, I don't know, it's been an interesting journey that I've just learned to see the positive of. And what I'm learning more than anything is flexibility and working with our clients becomes very, very important, you know, whether we're in the middle of a viral pandemic or not. Yeah, totally. I agree with you. Good. Well, that's why I had you on. (laughs) Because I knew you were doing it, so you would have to agree. Well, uh, Jacqueline, I just really appreciate your time. I know with having a little one at home and, you know, honestly, I think working from home is often harder. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, work from home. It's so romantic. I mean, my husband, I know both our husbands are working a lot from home right now. And I know my husband's like ready, ready to go back and, you know, into work. Um, it's harder. It's, it's discipline. And, you know, I commend you for all you're doing and, you know, balancing everything you do with a, a really little one at home and, and your first, um, it's a lot. So you're, you're doing a lot of great things and I just really appreciate you carving out some time to come be on the podcast. Um, so just thank you again. And we look forward to, you know, maybe when we're not doing so much telemedicine and we're all back to whatever normal is going to be at that time, doing another uh, episode of the podcast with you. I would love that. It was so nice to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I learned so much from that conversation and I hope you did too. I love collaborating and just seeing what other veterinarians are doing. It's so important to always have an open mind and exchange ideas with each other. As always, if you enjoy the podcast and could leave it a review, hopefully a positive one, it helps so much so we can reach other listeners together and continue to improve the quality of our dermatology patients. Until next time, I hope that you find these tips helpful and something that you can integrate right away.